how to get to Hades Town. You have to take the long way down through the underground under cover of night. Laying low, staying out of sight. Ain't no compass, brother. Ain't no map, just a telephone wire and a railroad track. Keep on walking and don't look back till you get to the bottom line. Wait for me, I'm coming. Wait, I'm coming with you. Wait for Welcome me. Welcome to Your Toes, the Adventures I'm of an NYC Dance Teacher. I'm your co-host, Danielle Colangelo. And I'm your co-host, Tony Williams II. This podcast is all about the adventures that Danielle and I have as dance teachers and choreographers living here in New York City. We will be sharing our experiences and all the ridiculous and hilarious truths. However, to keep the identity of the students and companies we have worked for safe, we won't be mentioning any by name, and if we do, they will be changed. That being said, let's get into today's topic. Now, we have a special guest for you guys. Yes, so um, today we have with us Jonathan DeMar, who Mm -hmm. is a producer um and i actually know jonathan from way back when we were little kids growing up (laughs) in the city and acting and dance and all that stuff and he's got some really amazing projects he's working on right now so he's going to chat with us today all about that so introduce yourself tell him give him a little spiel oh my goodness um so my name is jonathan demar i was born and raised in new york and um I was an actor growing up. I mm-hmm. Danielle and I known each other because her brother Anthony and I were in a Broadway show called A Christmas Carol mm-hmm. back in the Oh, day. I didn't know you were in the show with Anthony. Oh, okay. But now I uh, besides being an actor, I'm also a theater producer working on uh, Hades Town, Be More Chill, uh, 9 to 5 in the West End and the upcoming Amelie tour in the UK. Nice. Mm-hmm. So the kind of the reason why we thought it was important to bring a producer on to kind of talk with you guys is that like we as performers don't often think about the other side of the table. Right. Or I know in the college in the educational realm, we don't really think about producers because it's all school funded. But then we hit the professional world and it's like, oh, someone has to yeah. decide to pay for all of these things <laughs> and decide that we we deserve to be here. So I I would my first question to you would be what. What kind of made you shift from solely being an actor to a producer? Well, I think it's always a creative process, right? Because as actors, we're a small part of a big thing. Mm -hmm. And I was always curious about that from the standpoint that as an actor, you are part of a machine. And how that machine works really fascinated me. Uh, I I think the biggest turning point um, actually was Christmas Carol was there was a point where we had a break. And the kids were getting tutored, and Susan Stroman was working with the dancers. And our wrangler, Whitney, and I walked to the bathroom, and I happened to sneak my head into the rehearsal room. And she, Whitney looked at me and said, you want to be doing that, don't you? And I said, actually, I kind of want to be doing a combination of both on both sides of the table. And I was very inspired by Susan Stroman and what she was doing, and... uh, that made me think of, you know, what other possibilities are out there. Uh, the transition really happened because um, even though I had an interest in producing, mm-hmm. I came back from college. I went to Emory University and I wanted to get back into the field, but uh, I was too much of a bass baritone to be marketable. And so I was looking for other options and Typecasting is real. Right, right. <laughs> Typecasting is yeah, real. Yeah, man, especially in this business. Um, but I came back and... Uh, put feelers out about what I could do. And 
Um, a really good friend of mine, um, very famous composer by the name of David Zippel, and I were sitting down and he said, why don't you ask if you could be an associate producer? Mm-hmm. And I thought, hey, there's something there. And so I started putting feelers out to people. And a guy named Van Dean reached out to me and said that there was an opportunity there with a show that he was working on and asked if I wanted to raise some money. And I literally read the script in two hours, was so enamored by it and said, okay, let me take this risk and let's Mm -hmm. do it. And that really taught me everything about the business in a very funny way. And, you know, I've been doing it ever since. Yeah. That's insane just to like that one moment at, we kind of talked we've talked about this on an episode before about exposure just like that one moment of seeing Susan Stroman in a rehearsal room you're like there's more to this yeah I think that's a like a real thing to realize yeah yeah, yeah. so what um for like everyone out there so you started as an associate producer so what did you kind of how did you start like you had to raise money like what were kind of like the ins and outs and how you're able to get to to more of a point where you can have a little more creative say or anything like that. Well, I always feel like it's uh, depending how much you're able to bring to the table Mm -hmm. financially, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I developed my investor base because of the kind of work I was involved with. And I also put myself out there. I was doing other projects as well, not solely fundraising um, in that realm, but working on a startup and working on a few other things that Mm -hmm. I think really prepared me to go out and raise money in a big way. And I feel like every sort of step I've taken has sort of led to one point to another. And I feel like every building block, you know, I still feel like I'm developing that world for myself. It never stops for any artist because you only get better if you keep going and keep improving because there's never a 100%. You're never going to reach that 100% level because we as artists are always going to develop and grow. Our tastes are going to grow. Um, So I always feel like I'm still reaching for it. And it's a wonderful feeling because uh, it's a feeling of never being satisfied. And I think that's what makes someone hungry enough to do what they do. And I still think that, you know, as a performer, you know, I'd love to do certain things. And I, I I think it's all part of it in a big way. Okay. Yeah. So something, um, we mentioned kind of your four big projects at the moment right now. Um, two of them are in London on the West End. Or, yeah. Well, one is on West End and one will be touring overseas. How, do you feel like there's a difference between producing there versus producing here or the connections? Well, yeah. I mean, your costs are absolutely cheaper. There's not even a question. And what's interesting really? about London is I worked on Gypsy over in the West End. And that was sort of a fluke that a friend of mine called me and said, do you want to be a part of this? And I was so blown away by the fact that they already had an incredible advance. Um, Mm. And so I worked on that. We actually, you know, did quite well with that show. And so I'd always kept my eye on London, but I knew that that, you know, not every show succeeds. So you just have to sort of be careful with what shows you're going into. Nine to five was a very interesting thing because when I first heard about it, I almost thought, gee, that is a really smart idea because a lot of these musicals that are on Broadway that don't do well here in New York tend to do better in the Mm -hmm. UK. There's just an audience, it's It's a cost. A different feel. 
It, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, our nine to five in London is completely different from what was on Broadway. Mm-hmm. You're not dealing with that $18 million budget. I, I'm thinking that's what it was. It was huge. I mean, there are a lot of animatronics on that stage. It's, Ooh, yeah. it's much different now um, over in the West End. But there was something about... But there are different themes of these shows that you pick up on, too, right? I think with 9 to 5, uh, specifically, it's about female empowerment that Mm -hmm. uh, right now is a big topic of choice. Mm -hmm. And my company will... The shows I like to get involved with are shows where we can push the agenda forward Mm, and we can make a change, make a difference. And it doesn't seem obvious with a show like 9 to 5, but I feel like it definitely does and audiences are responding to it. Every time you keep saying 9 to 5, I just think... So I remember seeing the Broadway production, and there's one scene where, like, the villain character is, tr- like, trapped in a trunk of a car, and the Broadway production brings <laughs> on in it just a piece of a trunk of a car <laughs> for one line, because the line yeah. is in the movie. So like, the entire set rotates, like, a fourth of the stage. They pull out the, you know, have the scene with him in the trunk, and then it goes back, and I'm just like... That is such an elaborate thing for like one line, yeah. right? Right. And I'm just like, what? And like, Lisa's, and like why? you were saying, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the more you say, it, the more I think about it. It really is a lot of female empowerment that show. It really, it is. really, really is. And so, to like, to not use all these gimmicks and huge sets and everything, and not take away from that theme, I think is really important, and probably part of the reason why it's been able to do so well. Over yeah, here. and I think our running costs are low, and it's the funny thing about that show and. Um, a lot of, particularly a lot of shows in the UK, is you have younger people in the ensemble. Mm. Um, a lot of the dancers are, you know, coming right out of school or in school or are in school doing this. Yeah. Um, so a lot of those dancers are very young. That's great. And it's That's incredible. not Broadway at all. That no. Well, they also, and if, I mean, That's if you think Broadway about it, too, you also, you graduate high school at 16 in England. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is very true. Mm-hmm. It is very true. But it, it did astound me. I was talking to one of them that followed me on social media before I actually came down there for opening. And I finally met her. And I said, I hope you don't mind my asking, but how old are you? Yeah. I think she told me she was like 21, 22. And I was like, what? Yeah. That's insane. Like, like nobody, there are not many 21, 22-year-olds on Broadway. No. Oh, no. And that's I, the, that's from the, from the time, Danielle, you and I have been in this business, I don't think this ever no, really happened. No, because I really think the media, the median age, in terms of, like, if you want to talk I'm in terms of chorus, dance. like, chorus dancers, right. it's probably your, you know, mid to, later mid to late 20s to right. early 30s. Yeah, I would say, like, 26 is, like... Yeah, that's what I was thinking, yeah. Right. That 26 is going to be, like, your young end and up to maybe, like you know, 32, 33 for those chorus dancers. Right, right, right. Yeah, you yeah. really you really don't see, like, 21. Because here, you know, you don't graduate school till 21, yeah, 22, exactly. and then you got to audition, and then yeah. we don't have a ton of people or I think, right out of college jumping into Broadway productions. Well, maybe that's the question for you is, like, typically, like, we don't have younger actors, typically speaking, on Broadway simply because... A lot of producers don't trust them. So how do you feel when you're, you see a cast list for a project? Have you ever seen a cast list for a project and been concerned because you've had a lot of no names or people that you're un- you're unsure if they can carry a show because well, like you're on some big shows? Well, you know, I think it's also the product itself. Um, you know, it's funny because a lot of these different shows, like I will say Be More Chill, a lot of our cast, I think if, 
and I don't quote me on this, I think they are actually, they are older than teenagers. They play teenagers. Mm-hmm. They play them very convincingly. Right, and, they're, relatively yeah. young and they kill and they kill it every night. I um, mean, yeah, but I mean, well, obviously Jonathan knows because he's working on the show, but there's another kid, there, kid. There's another <laughs> adult <laughs> human um, who actually was in A Christmas Carol with Jonathan and my brother and we all grew up with who's in that show and he's, yeah. I mean, he's pushing 30. He'll be 30 this summer oh, wow. and he's playing, oh, yeah. playing a high schooler. And he's remarkable. And yeah. it's, it's great yes. to see him, just as a side note, it's great to see him in his stride. And uh, <laughs> it, we've always been in orbit um, over the years. Uh, we actually missed each other on that show, I think by one or two years. I know he did it with your uh, brother. Um, yeah. But we've always sort of been in orbit of each other, and all of a sudden, to be working as adults on the same show. Yeah, it's we were very like, poetic. When we were kids, yeah. I mean, it's just insane. Yeah. So I'm just so proud of him, and uh, yeah. I yeah. mean, it's just incredible. That's awesome. But yes, yeah. but you were saying, yeah, like, none of them, they all play high schoolers, but none of them are that young no, no they're not, not not that they're old by any they're means not. And but I, in I, terms I, of I, I, I should yes. take back what I said they're not old but they certainly are not in their early 20s yes and they have more energy than most early 20 year olds I've ever seen that's so amazing. I have to give them props for that yeah that's a great and yeah, it blows yeah. my mind every time I see the show um, yeah because a lot of them are like my age or older and they're killing it they really are yeah so typically when you're producing a show how many times do you see a show I th- usually um, I try to go to a rehearsal run through if I can. It just depends on the production and mm-hmm. how comfortable the director and the creative team are. Um, I got to do that off Broadway with Be More Chill, and it was so surreal um, mm-hmm. because they premiered a song in that run that I never heard before, and That's I, was, cool. I wow. knew it would have some sort of momentum. And off Broadway, it seemed to really go well, and I can, could understand why they want to put that in. Um, but usually it's very rare that I can do that. I usually go to the dress rehearsal. I mm-hmm. like, you know, I think it's important that you let creatives do what they do yeah. and not give them as much space as possible because I think, you know, Daniel, you and I know, it's like when you have a producer there constantly, it just brings the pressure up. Yeah. Now, lead producers certainly are involved. You know, as a co-producer... You kind of keep your distance for a bit. You go to the dress rehearsal. You um, maybe go to first preview. You try to go to a preview during it, and you give your thoughts, and then you go to opening night, and the mm-hmm. show opens, and that's it, and you let it run and see how it does. Um, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So you kind of talked about this before, but since, especially since you're not really in the room then as much, how do you know, like, this is a prod project that you're interested in so you know you talked a little bit about like you're very interested in like the themes of certain projects and Mm -hmm. driving you know driving towards certain things but is there is it something else is it just like reading the script or hearing the music or like what is it i think it's a combination of things for me it's about the team because if you have a smart lead producer Mm. that makes all the difference we have a brilliant lead producer on hadestown who used to work the nonprofit. um area and actually ran a very famous theater in uh, Princeton, um, McCarter. And I met her two years ago uh, by the whim that somebody that I knew knew her and said, mm-hmm. you need to Always. email her. Yep. And That's I was right actually, it's right time. And I was actually seeking that show out. Mm-hmm. So I purposely, uh, when I heard that she, that this person was looking to raise capital, I was like, oh, wow can you put me in touch with yeah. them? Because I 
know this show is right for me. Yeah. Um, and I met with her and I was so enamored by everything she said and what her views of theater are and how she handles budgets. And this was before there was any talk of going to London, any right. talk of any theater on Broadway. We knew Broadway was the goal. But I looked at the longer view and said, look, this woman is so smart she can carry it forward and make it work. And that's what convinced me to do it at the end of the day. I saw it at New York Theater Workshop and our um, another Christmas Carol alum, uh, Mr. Patrick Page, uh, is in that show and is absolutely brilliant. And at one time, I think um, the conversation was, well, where could you move it? And at that point, it wasn't quite ready, but I knew there was something there. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. when they ended up doing the proscenium version, that made me think there was something there to explore. Because you have to be marketable. You have to be at a good budget, but mm -hmm. also be able to carry that story. Yeah. So it is very much the aesthetic, the team, and the people that you're surrounding yourself with at yeah. the end of the mm -hmm. day. Yeah. So how do you feel, so two of your projects come from material that already existed movies. Right. And you have two of your projects that never existed before those writers. Right, right, right. How do you, how do you sell those investors or like how do, how do you sell that when it's like a material, and in the, for those that don't know, when you're in the process of creating a musical, you might have a scene or a song right. mm -hmm. prior to that entire cast getting in a rehearsal room. And <laughs> everything you did in that first that first workshop may go out the window a week later in your exactly. second workshop. Mm -hmm. I've been on that end as a performer and a choreographer, and it's right. very back and forth. So oh, yes. what do you do in the producing end? You know, like, as the actor, I've been there on the actor as the dancer being like, cool, we're scrapping that whole number because it doesn't work, but how do you go... Do you not, I, I was, imagine you don't sell a song or you sell a concept maybe? How does that work? I when... think for Be More Chill, what was interesting is because it was kicked around for such a long time and it was at Two River and it got this press, but it didn't mm -hmm. get the pickup. It was the cast album that really drew things. Because initially I didn't really know what to make of it. And funny enough, our friend and I were talking about this. Um, I think it was after he finished the run at Two River, yeah. and he was like, no, this is a really one of the best times I've ever had. Like, keep it mm -hmm. in your mind. And another guy that I knew who worked on the show, I called literally when I got the offer to raise, and he said, no, this is going to do well. There's something behind it. And it's immersing yourself in the material, but it's also being able to immerse yourself in the history because you got to know what's come before. Um, sure. And I think that's extremely important when you look at any sort of project, what's the history now, what, what, what was the history then, how people are going to respond to it. And quite simply, Be More Chill is a story about a kid who doesn't feel cool that should feel totally fine with himself, regardless of if he takes uh, a squip or not. Mm -hmm. um, but it takes him that to realize and all of those, um, and, and that journey that he takes is so profound um, in a big way. Um, but I think more in general, I mean, I'm going on Be More Chill as a specific, but I think what's important is that at the end of the day, you figure out how to see enough of the process. What a lot of shows will do is they'll do a workshop or a reading where they will invite producers and investors to look at it. And so going back to Town, there was a presentation for a proscenium-like version of the show, um, and it was stunning. It was absolutely mm -hmm. stunning. And I walked out of that room saying, this will work. Let me now try to raise money. Mm -hmm. And there were people that I knew who had seen it before that were like, oh, yeah, we're on board. 
That's um, great. So it's it's finding the right, but it does go back to what you're saying. It's convincing investors. It's finding the right people, right? Because mm-hmm. at the end of the, of the day, you need to find people who are comfortable with putting their money into something that may or may not work, but you give them all the information you can of why it can mm-hmm. work, and you make an incredibly good educated guess about it. It's not just throwing away money. It's really looking at it and saying, will this work in this environment? Are there factors that will, you know, come in on this? A play that deals maybe with uh, not as many people of color that we were thinking about four years ago may not work so well right now. Mm-hmm. So you have to really think about that deeply. That brings that brings up another question, but I have to ask, you talked about you talked about um, seeing the presentation for Town and walked up and being like, I want to produce it. You don't have to reveal the name. Yeah. Has there ever been a time that you went into a producer run and you go, oh, this was terrible or there's well, no way. I would, that's funny. I was actually, ah. gonna, I I was actually just going to ask that. Oh, it's say, Or was it's there, happened. you know, uh, a project that you actually got in on and then you, you know, did your, you know, co-producing thing and you're not in the room all the time and there was ever a situation where you didn't hear a lot about what's going on and then you showed up one day and it was just like not at all what you expected yeah it's happened a few times but i think it's more the fact when a show is one thing when you originally see it and they try to make it something that it's not yeah and you learn quickly that you should never do that if you are working with something that works that got people excited why try to change it right find the things that work about the show and make them stand out um you know, there you know, there have been situations where I will sit in a room on shows I've worked on and shows I've not worked on, and I think to myself, why would you even do that? Because that's not the DNA of your show. You really have to understand that in order to really understand how to produce. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a big challenge. I applaud anybody who goes out there and develops their own musical because it is freaking hard, or yeah, play yeah. for that matter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's... Uh, it's tricky, but you're right. I, I do find that if you become something that you weren't before and there's no good intention behind it, it can be pretty noticeable. And sometimes those changes cannot be made as quickly. Mm-hmm. So. Have you ever had to be, have you ever had to step in and essentially play bad producer and be like, I, I am what you currently just showed me. There's no way I want to bring me and my investors into this. Have you ever had to just um, step in and kind of be that person? Or, you know, like have your someone on your team kind of step in and be like, yeah, we can't get behind this because of changes that you've made or direction that you're currently I going. certainly will voice concerns. Um, there are some times where I'll look at something and I'll think, how do we strategize moving forward, you know, mm. from my perspective? Because at the end of the day, I am catering to my investors. You're absolutely right. So I want to do what's of interest to them. But I also have to think about, look, are there ways that we can market this now differently? Um, I'm probably more proactive in the marketing process of a show, or at least give my opinion more on that, than maybe the creative. Because mm-hmm. the creative, you have to let the actors do what they need to do. Yeah. Um, and see... That's why we needed you to that. sit down on the show. Because yeah. that's the thing. We talk about the creative side all the time, but like right. I, as per, especially when you're emerging into the professional world, we don't think about marketing a show. We because we're coming no. from most performers are coming from an educational background where it's like everyone at the college is going to go see it, everyone at my high school is going to go see it, and now you're in the professional world. Where it's like no, 
people have to we have to get butts and seats. So yeah. what does that mean? You know, why are things marketed that way? I'll tell you, know, you something. Like, yeah, I mean, going off your point, it was so funny. The first Broadway show I did work on, um, that was a big wake up call for me. And remember, my background do you mind is telling us what show? What was it? You as a performer, or you as a producer? No, no, as a producer. Um, but it, it was a big wake up call because remember, I had performed on Broadway a long time ago. I was used to, you know, a little bit of the acting side. And I think what's actually kind of nice about being an actor is you're sheltered away from some of the craziness so that goes much. on. Yeah, I'm and so some of the, And some of the, I almost hate to say personalities that, you know, kind of clash that may not, you know, make you think that what you're doing is noble. Um, but you have to always remember that that's actually not the case. Um, but there was a point where something was discussed and I would think, oh my God, this is really like, damn. Yeah. Mm. And then you, and then in my mind I'd figure out, you know, how can I change this? How can I make a difference? Mm. Um, I think that's always a very hard thing when you've been an actor to kind of feel mm. like, oh my God, yeah, there is a business and you just have to figure out how to mm. maneuver the two and I'll coalesce because at the end of the day, we are doing this because we love what we do. Mm-hmm. Very true. Uh, going back to one of your points um, where you talked about how like a show with less a less diverse cast wouldn't sell as well yeah. as it might have years ago. Do you feel like as a producer, you have to be socially aware of what's happening in the world? I think you should be. Um, yeah, we always really would hope. I mean, yeah, we always would hope. But in particular, because th- you... I think producers, I mean, as much as a creative, they are the ones controlling what we see, be it, you know, and Broadway has a trickle-down effect. What's happening on Broadway becomes what's happening in regionals yeah. and down the effect. So do you feel like you, as you said, I guess yeah. you have to be? No, right? you have to. I mean, I have a very funny story because I was developing a, a, a play that was 10 characters, five vignettes, and uh, there was a scene where... Um, a certain boss was sexually abusing his employee. And at mm. the t- and you have to remember, like, theater is about being realistic, so yep. we have to kind of see the ugliness. But this scene just felt a bit, like, too close to home to the point where mm. I knew we were probably going to get complaints. Originally, I thought, well, let them see it. Let's just do it because we have to. And I think it's important to at least get... It became obvious it was about the time that Harvey um, Weinstein came out mm-hmm. um, and all that craziness. And I said to the writer, what are you thinking now? Because I'm not so sure we can fly with that. And there was another scene about a prostitute where I had, had to have a, somebody literally had the conversation with me like, in this time now? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and since me too, you know, so many people have become champions of that movement in a very interesting way so now the conversation has actually shifted and i've always um my philosophy is if it doesn't work and you know it doesn't work don't do it Mm -hmm. because the reactions speak louder than one thinks and um, Mm. it's something sometimes that you have to second guess but at the end of the day the when more people tell you something you have to kind of take that seriously. Yeah. And that, it's, a t- it's a tough thing I've had to make a call as a producer because sometimes it's turn, it's, you know, taking projects and, uh, you know, not put them on the direction I would want and then you kind of just have to let go. And... Mm. Mm-hmm. and do you think that's 
from a creative standpoint or is it just like all of my instincts are screaming that I need to walk away? No, it's... I need to shelve this for now. You have to use instincts. Yeah. You have to use instincts. I think that's very, um, I think that's a very interesting point to bring up because, you know, the amount of times, like, I've heard of projects and obviously I'm sure you have in red scripts and I'm sure you've even heard of projects and then all of a sudden they're just non-existent anymore i mean yeah workshops like that where it's like things are growing there was a point where i was about to make an off-broadway debut and then it was like fizzle yeah (laughs) yeah nothing from producers i think it's really yeah they pop up again on a completely different project and we're like oh guess that project's done yeah i think it's really um a really interesting take and i i do think it's something that a lot of people don't think about and things that like a lot of people forget that you know um it's you know you have to think about everyone and your audience and what's going on in the world and not just about like do you think it's good or not mm-hmm. right so i think that's super super interesting so go ahead oh i was going to say um <laughs> so for you let's kind of i think we've um we've yeah. talked a lot about kind of like what you're doing right now and you're producing stuff and your point of view on that, which I love and we can get back to it. But right. let's talk a little bit about, you know, you growing up, acting and sure. dancing and especially being from New York and what that was like for you. You were a kid on Broadway. And yeah, that's like how was, how <laughs> was that beast. for you? And, um, you know, you touched upon it, but how you think that that really kind of shaped you to be where you are today? Yeah, I mean, I think it instills a certain professionalism in you, whether it's, um, it it may not seem as obvious, but I think as kids, we always had to kind of step up to the game on everything we were doing. Mm -hmm. Um, Christmas Carol was certainly no exception. And I think what I'm so grateful for is that I had teachers during that time who really prepped me for what it was like to be on Mm -hmm. Broadway. I mean, I really owe it to people like Joyce Hall, who was my voice teacher, uh, Flo Greenberg, who was my acting teacher, uh, my dance teacher at the time, Janine Molinari, who would really just go through. Did we take her class? <laughs> no, I've worked with Janine before. I was like, why did yeah. you know someone from <laughs> Yeah, I yeah. Like we've taken, well, because we took class with someone from Danielle's childhood before, but I was like, why did Janine sound really familiar? <laughs> oh, no, we took class with Michelle. We took class with Michelle. Yes, like, okay, no, 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 like, but I've I've worked with Janine. I was like, that's yes. so familiar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's a Small world. It's very small. Yeah, very small world. Yeah, yeah, I worked in Janine. I knew something would come up given we're on a a dance podcast. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds so familiar. But I I think they really helped prepare me for what Broadway would be like. And then it became kind of exactly what I expected. And, but I loved, I think with, particularly with Christmas Carol, it was an incredible community. And I think Mm -hmm. you would agree, Danielle. Yeah. Um, it's just amazing how many of those people I still stay in touch with till, till this yeah. day. I mean, one of them is now an agent that I'm, you know, I negotiate with occasionally. And we always talk about how fond we were of that experience. And then there are a few actors that I've worked with who have been in previous years mm-hmm. of that show. and We've bonded because of it. It's just great. It's a very unusual Broadway experience because mm-hmm. I don't think that happens very often. No, I was going to say, anyone I've ever come in contact with who was part of A Christmas Carol 1.0 always and only has fond yeah. things to say and how family-oriented and group company-oriented and everything it was. So that was definitely kind yeah. of a really diamond, you know, diamond-in-the-sand type of experience. Yeah. But 
I mean, yeah, I do think that that just like the positivity from it just really gave you a sense of the community and what could like be what it could be. Sure. And what's so funny about that show, just as a side point, um, was I never really thought of myself as a dancer at that time. And I think one of the things that I sort of crack up about today is that if it weren't for people like Janine or the teachers that I had that were like, you have this skill, I don't think I would have believed in myself as much, Mm -hmm. probably auditioning for a Broadway show, because I remember specifically um, that the associate director asked if I could dance. Mm -hmm. And I think in a way that actually helped me seal a callback for the show. Um, It ended up I didn't have to do much, but I think they did want someone who could move or be flexible. Uh, there was another kid who was on the other team who played my role who was a phenomenal dancer. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing him in the final year, and he was just incredible. He was doing high kicks like crazy. And I just felt like, well, I have all this dance training now, you know, a little bit of tap, a little bit of jazz, slight bit of ballet. Mm-hmm. Let me use it to my advantage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I ended up using it in the show a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I think it's just being able to have that confidence because... I certainly could not call myself a dancer then. I don't think I'm, you know, a ballet person at all now. Mm-hmm. I, I'm more of a tapper. But I think it's from those experiences that you gain um, a certain amount of confidence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know so, that um, Janine is really amazing she is. with that, instilling confidence in kids and dancing, too. I know that yeah. she is really, really incredible at that. She re- and she's worked with so many incredible people over yeah. the years, and I, it's really because of her that my tap really picked up in a big I way. I see that, it's yeah. Just, I really owe a lot to her. So, um, But yeah, yeah, and I mean, even in the years before, I, I studied at a dance center in Westchester, mm-hmm. and I was doing all this stuff. It's always funny because my parents had none of these skills whatsoever. Yeah. So they were yeah. sort of, no, but they were sort of cautious. They're doctors. I mean, that's kind of their thing. And I'd always, I don't think they ever expected their son to tap dance. So oh, wow. it's kind of, uh, nice. it, it, it's pretty wild. Yeah. So I have to ask, and again, we go through this all the time. You've been in the industry a very long time, just like me and Danielle have. In particular, in New York, around the Broadway theater community, right? How and self care is a big important thing for us. Oh God, how do you yes. Not, mm-hmm. One, how do you keep that schedule? Because again, you're producing in two different countries, so you're flying often. Yeah. So how do you stay healthy, but also how do you not become jaded with the sense of one, like you said, you're yourself as an actor, but typecasting is a thing. But like, how do you sustain a mental health and physical health in this business? When, again, you're talking to investors, which ain't always an easy conversation, then you're seeing a show, which yeah. you're hoping is what you're selling, and yeah, then sometimes yeah, yeah. it's not. So how do you keep that kind mm-hmm. of mental and physical health for yourself? I've yeah. had to really deal with this actually recently, and it's a very interesting thing. Um, luckily, with uh, the UK, I don't have to go out there. I take phone calls, so that kind of relieves the stress a little bit and I actually trust the people I work with even with Amelie funny enough it's the same people who were co-producers on 9 to 5 with me amazing and I've you know I heard them out on what they wanted to do and I was like this makes complete sense and it was the right thing to kind of at the right time for that show Uh, but getting back on track here um, I think what's interesting is that as a producer you do have to figure out 
what your schedule is going to be every day because it's not linear. It's not nine to five. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I've always been sort of against is the nine to five sort of job. Mm -hmm. And I've tried to find every way not to do that because it's difficult in New York. But I I do feel like um, there are ways to manage, but you have to be on top of yourself, on top of your health. I love going to the gym. Mm -hmm. I try to find at least one to two hours a day to do that. Mm -hmm. If not, maybe six times a day a week um i definitely try to hone in to what i'm trying to do Um, as a performer i take tap class every week um with a few different teachers who have been amazing i take a little bit of jazz but i also will take a voice lesson every week or two weeks Mm -hmm. just to kind of tune my instrument and figure out what i can do and but i have found you know in the past few years the biggest focus has been on producing because it has been sort of a nonstop thing that has kept me so busy mm-hmm. and because mm-hmm. that momentum sort of keeps going you can't really kind of ride the wave off of it because if you do um it may be harder to get back yeah. on and mm-hmm. it's kind of the same thing with um a lot of different professions and yeah. i think that's that's been the biggest challenge for me, kind of balancing the two, but I'm kind of learning how to make a weave that I think works mm-hmm. um, in that realm. So it's, uh, I, I it, going back to self-help, I think that is so important. I talk to a lot of actors that very much will not go out consistently, and I admire them for that. And mm-hmm. I've definitely tried to kind of cut down on hours that I don't need, mm-hmm. try to be, you know, respectful of myself and my body and what I really can do. Um, but at the end of the day, I do have to network. So it's figuring out how to do that without killing myself. Yeah. <laughs> Does that yeah. make any sense? Yeah. So yeah. I actually kind of stimmed uh, my next question of like, how do, what do you think are great, great ways about networking and when it's just not working? Like, have you ever mm-hmm. sat down and like, started having conversations oh, with someone or someone comes approaches you and you're just like, oh, this is not, I, I'm just not comfortable. What, what happened here? <laughs> this is such a nice conversation. Because I know when I started choreographing, that's when I was like, oh, some people really don't understand networking very well. And this well, is just, I'm just uncomfortable now. It's tricky <laughs> in our business because one thing could be meant as something else. Um, it's true. I, it's funny as a producer because I have... And it's very funny, and I'm not going to name names, but I've had more actors come up to me than I think ever before because mm. when you put your name as a producer, yep. that mm. does kind of bring it. And I've had, I have made relationships with people, you know, where I never thought that person would ever be someone in my orbit, but it just so happens they are. Um, and it may or may not be for the reason, but I always try to introduce myself as a well rounded person. Okay. Um, and I hope that's what people take out of getting to know me and getting to know me as a person because being a producer is one thing, um, but you have to have so many other skills in order to support that. And I also think you have to be very well-rounded. So the most interesting connections I make are somebody that perhaps I meet that has another skill I didn't know about or has a connection mm. I didn't know about. You know, maybe the, you know, I'll just take an example. Uh, the, their mother went to my alma mater. So they understand, mm-hmm. kind of, we kind of have the same point. You know, we may not have been dancers originally, but that's more what we're doing. I'm just taking an example yeah. for, for the heck of it. Um, but I think it does bring a little bit of closure when you have some of those con- th- those connections where 
there's something to relate on mm-hmm. in a more mm-hmm. personal way. Um, and I always, I actually give a lot of credit to my parents because um, they being doctors, I've learned a lot about human connectivity and as well as mm-hmm. what people can relate to. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just a shot in the dark. You just want to do it because you want to try it. But at the end of the day, I feel like you can feel out who the good people are and, you know, mm-hmm. maybe who are the people that are not as meant to be in your orbit, I guess. Yeah. That's kind of smart. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. So you've never had a time in particular where, and again, you'd have a share names, where <laughs> you were just, where you just like, you had an interaction where you're like, I know that you're not, you're just meeting me because my I have producer next to my name, not because you actually want to meet me as a person. Um. Oh yeah, that's happened. But then you have to just, you just have to regulate your relationships. You can't go to everything you're invited to. You have to just be very picky. Mm-hmm. Because going back to self-care, if yeah. I ran around yeah. the city like a crazy person, which... That's actually true. I never really thought about that. Yeah. I mean, if I'm asking somebody to go to a show with me, I better ask somebody that I really like that I want to spend time with. Or at least that I feel it's important for me to get together with them. Or, you know, or I'm thinking they are going to like this. It's worth it for their time. Because time is everything. Uh, one of the greatest things I learned in college is economics is time. Mm-hmm. It's not just about money, it's about time. And that's the key to health, in my yeah. honest opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's really smart. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, folks, I think that's it for us. The curtain has closed on this episode. But we hope that you will join us next week. And every week after that. Episodes come out on... That's totally not my line. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We could take that back. We We want to say a special thank you to our listeners. Um, our number, our numbers keep growing, and that's all thanks to you. Episodes come out every Tuesday. You can find us on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Google Play Music. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play Music are perfect places to do that. We want to take a moment to thank our wonderful guests, and also give you a chance to share where the people can find you in the world. Yes. So, oh. what are your social media social media handles? Well, thank you, Tony. I'm at Jonathan Demar on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And my company, my uh, production company, Dynamic Elevations, is on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as well. Nice. You can also find us on Facebook at Point Your Toes. And we're also on Instagram at Twitter at Point PYT. And you can email us at PYTNYC29 at gmail.com. I'm your co-host, Tony Williams II. And I'm your co-host, Danielle Colangelo. See you next week on Point Your Toes, the adventures of an NYC dance. Like bad guy, push your side, then move on forward with your friend at your side. It's a two-player game, so when they make an attack, you know you got a brother gonna have your back. Then you stay on track, and I'll remain on course. And if they give you the smack, you gotta use your force. And if you leave your brother behind, it's lame, cause it's a messed up.